Um, so let me see, that seems to be recording. Right, um, so just a quick review uh, from the previous uh, lesson I did at the beginning of July, <clears throat> which was when, um, in the beginning of July, we looked at 1 John verse 1 to 4, and we talked about forging fellowship and our fellowship and our community and, and our togetherness in unity, uh, our belonging as a family as, is based, and, based on and strengthened by our fellowship with God. And that forms the basis of our fellowship with each other. So when, uh, when Jane and Richard over the last few weeks entered into fellowship with God by getting baptized, we also entered into fellowship with them and they became part of our fellowship. They were unified with us in the body of Christ. And, and for me, that is an amazing thing. Um, and then just as a quick overview, as part of that lesson, I talked about this picture of, uh, we looked at trigonometry and this picture of the triangle where uh, if we are in fellowship with God, it also means we are in fellowship with each other. And if we, if we turn away from God and turn away from each other, if we take a step closer to God and we're only two away from God, then we also get closer to each other. Um, so that was kind of the, that's kind of the summary of, uh, of that lesson from 1 John, that, um, <clears throat> that uh, we, we get closer to each other by getting closer to God. Uh, we're going to do some more maths today. And uh, maybe you can start thinking about it, uh, what the word axiom means in maths. Um, but before that, I just want to quickly, so if you go back to 1 John 1, verse 5 to 7, uh, it starts off in verse 5 by John saying, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So if we think about... Um, an axiom. Maybe you want to put in the chat box or uh, unmute yourself. Uh, who knows what an axiom is in maths and can give an example of, uh, of an axiom? Who is that? Uh, Aneta, yes, of course, you're the maths teacher. Help us out again like you did last time. That's right. Yeah, so an, an axiom is a, is, a, is a truth or a, a fundamental statement uh, in maths that is so self-evident that and, and actually it's so foundational you, you cannot even prove it or disprove it. And it's kind of the, the, the thing that everything else builds on in maths, like integers or uh, integer numbers or the fact that 1 plus 1 is 2. If you try and prove it or disprove it, you'll just get your mind in a complete tangle and end up going in circles because it's so foundational. That is what an axiom is. And, I um, an interesting one. When, I was, when I'm walking, you can, you can check that the third side of a triangle is shorter than walking on the other two. <laughs> So you end up on the same point, but you take two other, let's say, segments. 
when I'm in a hurry and I know there is a shortcut somewhere, I'm just using this axiom and I'm getting it. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Anita. Oh, sorry, everybody. Uh, just give me one second. M somehow my notes didn't sync properly to my phone. And I have my old notes here. That's not convenient. Oh dear. Everything seems to be going wrong today. <laughs> right. <coughs> um, so, that, so that's an axiom, it's a, it's a foundational statement. And this, this uh, verse here, it says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare, uh, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. For me, that is an axiom. It is like a foundational statement about biblical truth. Uh, it's a bit like... You know, it's, it's one of those things where that, that's where the Bible starts off with. Remember, in the beginning, there was just darkness. And then God created light. How is that possible? It was possible because God himself is light. It's a, you know, there's, uh, there's sometimes these, I don't know if you've seen these uh, letters from children to God. So there's this one... Uh, child that wrote one of these letters to God, uh, let's call her Emma, and she said, Dear God, I was taught in school that Thomas Edison made, made light, but in Sunday school we learned that you did it, so I bet Thomas Edison stole your idea. <laughs> Love, Emma. Um, that's an axiom. It's, a, it's such a foundational statement that we cannot prove it or disprove it, but it, it's a building block for so many other things. And John says, this is what I'm proclaiming to you, that God is light. In fact, he's so complete in light that there's no darkness in him at all. What other axioms can you think of in the Bible? Uh, if you think about it, and, and if you can't quote the exact book, chapter, and verse, don't worry about it. You can just say, oh yeah, somewhere it says this or that. You can type it in the chat box or unmute yourself. Um, and just share of what other foundational statements can you think of in the Bible that you think, yeah, that's a, that's a, a basic truth. God is love. God is love, yes. Yeah, that's in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, I believe, or somewhere, somewhere there in 1 John 4. God is love. It's a foundational statement. Oh, Penny said exactly the same thing in, a, in the chat box. Thank you, Penny. Anything else that anybody can think of? Yeah, Liesl says? I think of John 10, I think it's verse 30 or 31, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That's right. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. What else? Any other ones that you can think of? But I've got one or two other examples here that actually, surprisingly, through the Holy Spirit, who knows, uh, came up in my memory scripture review this morning. And one of them is Psalm 100 verse 5, where it says, For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. 
His faithfulness continues through all generations. And another one that came up is Nahum 1, uh, verse 7. One of those minor prophets that we don't often turn to or read so much, probably. At least not me. Uh, in verse 7 it says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. So now that we, we understand what an axiom is, and, and we've seen some examples, what is the value of, of having an axiom, of a, a, a foundational statement like this? And I think, of course, in maths, everything else builds on that. And it gives a firm foundation that you can prove other things because of this axiom. And it's the same with the Bible. There are some foundational truths in the Bible that a lot of other things build on. And in fact, it gives us in our lives and our thinking and when we have to deal with our emotions and with, with challenges, it gives us a, a foundational building block. It gives us a, a, a reference point, a, a north star, a polar star or, or a, a magnetic north to aim for. It gives us a, a guardrail or a safe boundary to, to frame and shape other beliefs that we have and, and to shape us as we examine questions that we have, questions about faith and about life and things that, that we find challenging. And these axioms we can apply in all kinds of situations. It could be in positive situations like uh, I'm so happy I, I found a job after three months of being unemployed and I started work on Monday and I could say oh well I was so lucky to get this job. But I could also say, you know what, I know there's a foundational statement that says God is good and he, uh, he cares for me. So instead of saying I was lucky, I shape it by this foundational statement and say God was good to me and he blessed me after three months of job hunting. And uh, in that way, these axioms and foundational statements really shape our thinking and the way we the, even the perspective we have on life and the glasses we look through to see life's events. And it can be with positive things. It can be also, and is actually quite important, with challenging times and difficult times. When we're going through troubling times, and you know, maybe you face challenges in life, and, and you know, in this three months when I was job hunting, sometimes you know, I, I sat down and I was like, in, you, know, you, you, you wonder what's going on. And um, when we're going through challenging times and we ask questions like, where is God now? And what is the purpose of this? And why is this happening to me? And why is God doing this? We can go back to these foundational statements because they are always true. And if I know that um, in my situation where I was unemployed, I go back to that foundational statement. I can take this scripture like in Nahum 1 verse 7, for example, and say, well, I know God is good. I know he will be my safe refuge in troubling times. And I know he cares for me because I trust in him. And if we go back to these foundational statements, it can really give us a, a, a sense of, of stability and comfort and peace that, uh, that helps us to, to cope with challenging times, whether it is uh, financially or in the relationships in life or our health or whatever 
challenges us in life, whatever burden we have to carry, um, is that uh, these axioms can really, and uh, foundational statements, can, can shape our faith and uh, gives us a, a firm foundation to stand on. I think that's something uh, maybe for us to reflect on for ourselves, to ask ourselves, how can I use the foundational statements in the Bible to, to reframe my thinking? How can I use those foundational statements to guide my steps? And something which I found really helpful is to actually memorize some of these statements uh, because they are so important to, to framing my thinking and, and helping me to, to stay faithful and to stay strong and to find encouragement in the scriptures and, 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 and find encouragement in the very nature of God. Um, so think about that. How can I use the, these foundational statements in the Bible to guide my steps and to uh, strengthen my fellowship with God? Because John makes this statement right after the first four verses where he says, our fellowship is based on our fellowship with God. And he says, well, God is light. So our fellowship with God is based on this foundational statement that he is light. So if we carry on, carry on in, uh, back to our passage in 1 John 1, um, if we think about if God is light and our fellowship with God is based on getting closer to Him, it also implies that when we move closer to God, we, we move towards the light and into the light. And that's exactly what John says in verse, uh, verse 6 and the first bit of verse 7. When he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, meaning with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, of course, the first question, he, he says, if we walk in the light, we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to walk in the light? And that made me think back to the lessons we did in Third John, the third letter of John, um, a few months ago, uh, where I talked about there's a way to walk and a way to run. That uh, our walk should be characteristic of Jesus. And that when we run, we should run with Jesus. And run with Christ. So moving into the light is not just some abstract concept. It has a very practical impact on the way we live our lives. Uh, in verse 6 he says, you know, if we walk in the darkness, we do not live out the truth. It has a very practical impact on, 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 on our, our attitudes and, and the character of our hearts and, and the nature of our relationships uh, with each other and um, in the church. Let me just mute someone who's on. Okay, it's muted. So here's a question, and uh, you can answer in the chat or uh, maybe unmute yourself. Is there such a thing as darkness? This may be a, a scientific question, or maybe it's a philosophical question. Uh, I don't know. Let, let's see what comes up. But, uh, is there really such a thing as darkness? 
So iPad 5, I don't know who iPad 5 is, but uh, says yes. Uh, Liesl says, of course. <laughs> Any other thoughts? So I've got two votes for yes. Oh, Jane. So Jane says yes. So Jane and Liesl are in fellowship because they are unified and agree that there is such a thing. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> and then T.O., again, I don't know who that is, says definitely. Leia says, when you tell a lie or something bad happens. Um, that's a that's a very practical example exactly that there is such a thing as darkness. Ogie, uh, he's you can see he's a bit more scientifically minded. He says, ah, well, it's the absence of light. Uh, the Watkins family, I assume that's Leon. He says, no, darkness is the absence of light. I can see who the scientists are, and I can see who the more uh, soci sociologists are. Although my wife is kind of both. Um, Richard says, to sin is to live in darkness. Uh, Penny Cox says, sometimes you can feel darkness. Uh, iPad 5 thinks that's Jane, says darkness has its own identity. Mm. Yeah, it's a strange thing, darkness. Um, it's very hard to, f very few people feel comfortable with the darkness. Uh, we associate all kinds of things in darkness. If you if you ever try to find your way in the darkness, it's a it's a hard thing. And when I try and walk walk around in in the darkness, I inevitably bump my toe or bump my shins against something or bump into something and hurt myself. Uh, the darkness is not a good place to be. And even though scientifically we could say, well, there's actually no such thing as darkness, like uh, uh, Usagi said, darkness is not actually a thing, it's just the absence of something, it's the absence of, of light. Um, we all know what darkness is because we, we can experience it. We, we can switch off the lights, we can close our eyes, uh, even emotionally we can feel and experience a sense of darkness. It's a heaviness, it's an uncertainty, it is where you stumble around and you can't find your way, you're not sure which way to go. Um, and you know, the, the point is not to have a, 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 uh, a scientific discussion about it. Yes, scientifically darkness is not a thing, it's just the absence of light. Um, darkness is very real. But the fact that scientifically darkness is not actually a thing, it means that I cannot package darkness in a, in a can or in a bottle and give it to you and say, here's some darkness. Uh, the amazing thing is, is about darkness is that it's always possible to, to get rid of darkness. Um, so in the sense that, like uh, uh, Oge says, uh, black holes are black because they can't reflect light. Um, or, so confirms Leon and Oge's or Sagi's answers. Uh, Danny says Genesis says God created light and separated light from darkness and named the darkness night. It suggests it's all, it's absence of light. God didn't create darkness. Uh, Dawn says science and religion always interesting. They do work together. And Aneta says it is dark when we are afraid to be honest about mistakes. Now that is the thing, is that even though scientifically darkness is just the absence of light, the amazing thing is that it is so easy to get rid of darkness. 
because all you need to do is switch on the light and the darkness disappears. But it's not so easy to just get rid of light. You cannot switch on the darkness and the light disappears. If the light is there, it will always overcome the darkness. And that is the amazing thing. So when God, it says God is light, in Him there is no darkness, it means that the light is so powerful that there is no room for darkness. Now, scientifically that's true, but also in our hearts and our characters and our lives and, and in the spiritual journey that we're on, that is true as well. In John 3, when Nicodemus came to, um, and if you want to, you can turn there in John 3, we're just going to read from verse 19 to 21. And while you find that scripture, I'll give you a bit of background. So in John 3, Nicodemus, who was one of the Pharisees, came to Jesus at night in the darkness. And that is significant because people do things under cover of darkness because darkness also has some kind of safety in it because you can do things that are not easily seen. And you can do things, we even have a term, they say we do things under the cover of darkness. So he went to Jesus' night at night when probably when he was walking down the streets nobody would see exactly who it was that went into the house where Jesus was and no one, not, not too many people would notice because he was afraid of what the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders would say about him being a Pharisee and Jewish leader going to see Jesus. So he went to Jesus at night and asked him this question about uh, how to enter the kingdom of heaven and, and Jesus said well you need to uh, to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to be born again of water and the Spirit. Just like Jane and Richard were born again over the last two weeks uh, of, the, uh, of water and in their spirit being renewed. And then uh, Jesus explains that to him and then he uh, says the famous words in John 3.16 that says, uh, Whoever believes in, in Jesus... Uh, God loves the world so much that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then often when people read that passage, they stop at verse 16. And it's a foundational truth that it is true. That those who, who put their faith and trust in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. But then Jesus actually carries on with that. And in verse 19... He explains the whole concept of light and dark to Nicodemus. And in verse 19, he says to Nicodemus, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So in uh, verse uh, 6 and 7, when uh, John says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It really ties in with what Jesus says here, that there's a battle between light and darkness and it's a decision that we have to make and continue to have to make as we live our Christian lives, to live our lives in the light and to bring into light the things of the darkness. 
And that is the amazing thing that the, it's the most powerful thing that when we struggle with something, when we struggle with sin or some long-term uh, challenges that we have in our character or our behavior that we, we're struggling to overcome, that the way to do that is instead of fighting the darkness, Jesus said we just need to bring it into the light. And I know from my experience that I can sometimes get so stuck with uh, trying to fight the, the darkness that I forget that the real power is not in fighting the darkness, but the real power is in the light, because light will always drive away the darkness. And what Jesus says, the way to deal with sin and our struggles and the things we're trying to overcome is to bring it into the light. Because it's hard to fight the darkness. It's hard to make the darkness just go away. But light dispels darkness. And it's the same with, we can substitute the words morality and immorality for light and darkness. We can say, is there such a thing as immorality? Well, yes, we can see it. We experience it. We see it when we lie or someone lies to us or some, someone steals something or or cheats, or uh, whatever it is that's immoral in this world. We can see it, we can experience it. But immorality is actually just the lack of morality, the absence of morality. And just like light drives away darkness, a decision to live a moral life and, and, and to bring morality into it will, will dispel immorality. When we fill our hearts with the love of Christ, and we fill our hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit. It fills us with a light that leaves no room for darkness. Just like God is light and there is no darkness in, in Him at all. We can have no darkness in us when we are filled completely with light. And then we think like, hang on, I know myself. Um, I don't think that's possible. To have no darkness in me at all. We'll cover that last bit soon when we get to the, to the communion. But for now, I think the important thing is that we understand that we live our lives in the light. We walk in the light when we decide to shine the light and, and to bring everything in our life, to live our lives in transparency and to deal with the challenges in our life through bringing it into the light. And I found for myself, I found it so much easier to have that perspective. Mm -hmm. I could say, I really need to stop being so impatient. And I'm fighting this impatience. And the harder I try, the more difficult it becomes. Or I could just say, oh, you know what? Impatience is actually just a lack of patience, the absence of patience. What is patience? Oh, it is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the way to fight impatience is not to try and fight impatience, but to cultivate patience and to cultivate the fruit of the Holy Spirit, one of which is patience, in my heart. And the more I cultivate patience, the more it will drive out the impatience in my heart. And that makes something that seems so hard and impossible very possible, because the power of the Holy Spirit will dispel any darkness that is left. John carries on and he says, you know what, here's the wonderful thing. If we live our lives in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
Just like when we both move closer to God in that triangle, and as we move closer to God, we move closer to each other. As we move into the light, and as we live our lives in the light, that bonds us together in unity. Because I can see you, and you can see me. And when you can see me clearly, and my life is transparent and open, you know my struggles, you know my victories, it brings us closer to each other because there's nothing hidden, there's nothing covered over, there's nothing that you think like, I wonder what's going on there, I wonder what's, how is his heart like, I wonder what, what is his life like. What John says is, we live our lives in the light, if we walk in the light, that actually bonds us closer. And I found that it's, it's a... It takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable and transparent and open with each other, to talk about our challenges, to talk about our sins. But every time I've done that, I found that it brings me closer to the other disciple that I'm being open and vulnerable with, because it brings things into the light. And when I'm open and transparent and vulnerable, I know that my brother can see me clearly. And when he's open and transparent and vulnerable with me, I can see him clearly. And I can see in him, not just him, but I can see in him the love of God and the love of Christ. And we even sing that song where we see, I see in you the Christ that we both have in our hearts. And what John says is that that walking in the light is what brings us into fellowship with one another. And that strengthens us, our community and, and that helps us to be unified with each other. And I love that this word community because community uh, is kind of built on this idea of a common unity. We are united with each other when we walk in the light. Let's uh, strive towards that. Let's uh, have the courage to bring into the light the things that are still hidden in darkness, in whatever corners of our heart and our lives and our, our, lives and our character, uh, and, and, and have the courage to be vulnerable and transparent so that we can also be closer to each other through that. But what about that bit that I'm always struggling with? I know I will never be perfect. It sounds so great to say, oh, if I just bring all the light in, there will be no darkness at all. Then I'll be just like God, where there's all light and no darkness. I'm like, ah, I know I'm a sinful human being. I know I'm fallible. I, I am imperfect. And as much as I try, there will always be something else where I fall short of the glory of God. I don't need to worry, because in the... This, the, 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 the second uh, part of verse 7, um, John says, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. I take great confidence and comfort and take heart in the fact that whatever bits of darkness are left that I can't deal with myself, that even those bits of darkness are taken away by the light of Christ because His blood drives away all darkness. And not only in my own heart and my own life, but when I look at all these faces here in the gallery on Zoom and I look at my brothers and sisters, I know they've got struggles. 
I know Danny's got his struggles and his challenges. He just shared something with me last week. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm struggling with this. And, but when I look at Danny, I shouldn't looking at, look at him as Danny was mostly light and this little bit of darkness that he's struggling with. Because that is not what God sees. When God looks at us, he sees the light that we walk in ourselves. But he also sees the other bit of, that's light, that the blood of Jesus drives out all darkness. And then when we look at each other, we should look at each other in the same way that God looks at us. Where the, the blood of Christ has purified our hearts from all darkness. And when we have the bread and the wine now, let's reflect on that. That the death and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, through which we receive the forgiveness of sins enables us to walk in the light and as we have the bread let's remember that broken body and as we have the fruit of the vine let's remember the blood that was spilt for the forgiveness of our sins let's pray for the bread and wine